Good morning, I'm Jerry Agarian for John Moore, and as a result, somebody has to do my show, because you don't want to listen to me from 5 in the morning until noon. Yes, we do, Jerry. Yeah, maybe you do, because then you wouldn't have to work. But uh, Mark Dewey is here, and he's filling in for me from 9 to noon, and he's here for the morning brief. And, and this is a class act you got going on here. Uh-huh. I mean, when John Moore is here, there's no breakfast laid out in the boardroom. Yeah, the chips are all gone, aren't they? They're, the chips were there. He was able to try uh-huh. different styles and flavors. and t- It was amazing. Toronto City Council votes to make other governments help out with the homeless, and they're not going to. Um, well, well, first of all, they can't make the other governments do anything. Uh, and uh, second of all, they are not going to keep the warming centers open 24-7. How are you reacting to all of that? That's the right decision. Uh, and it was made, I think, in this case, for at least 50% the right reasons. I mean, there's a big hue and cry that uh, Toronto used to have, you know, over a dozen warming centers in the wintertime that people could go and warm themselves up if it was freezing cold and they had nowhere else to go, whether it was they didn't have any heat at home or they were homeless. Now they only have four in the city, except when you when you do the slightest modicum of research and go on the city's website, you find out that all of the others that used to be warming centers, as far as I can tell, and I'm going to try to confirm this this morning before your show starts, which I will be guest hosting, yeah. uh, they, they've cha- changed the name of them. What used to be a warming center, there are a dozen plus of them, is now called a multifunction 24-7, 365 respite center. So they're open every day, all day, all hours of the clock, hot or cold, so that people can go in and cool off in the summertime, warm up in the wintertime, and just kind of get out of the elements. Can you get a coffee? or it's I just... don't know. Okay. So I, I'd like to find out. But there are still four quote-unquote warming centers, which are only open when the city activates its extreme cold weather alert system. So they're additional uh, to what was there before. So I don't know if the whole the total number is the same, but nobody seems to be talking about these other uh, centers that, as far as I can tell, still exist. They just changed the name of them. Okay. Well, I guess I'll bring that up with Shelly Carroll then when she's yeah, on round one. Yeah, ask her what, because she, she might know this, uh, right. but everybody's focused on warming centers, and so you answer the question about the warming center, nobody's asked about the respite centers. Now, uh, we have a column written by Adam Vaughn where he says, this is in the sun, trees are not the root of Metrolinx's problem at Queen and University, and he takes up that argument against building a transit stop at to Osgood, uh, right next to what is already a transit stop at Osgood, um, if you're going north or south. And uh, of course, he recommends another location. Staff has decided that uh, that Osgood location is where it needs to be. To me, this is just, you can never get everybody to agree. So just, you've made a decision, just build the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Although, and it hurts me to say this, and I'll note the time, Adam Vaughn is partly right on this one. As Metrolinx, yeah, please note the time. The he date. saw me look at the clock, six twenty-four, <laughs> on the 9th of February. Because I have had uh, experience with Metrolinx. Metrolinx likes uh, it. Comes up with its plan in a dark basement room with no people in it. One engineer working in his underwear uh, in a slide rule, figuring out the way the world must be, Jerry. 
And then they march forward with that with little or no consultation with anybody. And only when they hit the unstoppable or the sort of immovable rock will they even consider rethinking it. And so I wonder if that's not what's happened here. Well, they decide it needs to go in the northeast corner of this corner because that's where their draftsmen drew it. Yeah. And that's where it's going to be. And Adam Vaughn is saying, well, you could go on one of the other three corners. Uh, and he might be right. I don't know. Okay, but here's my problem. He might be right, but it might in the long run, actually only in the long run, make a marginal difference to the future of this community. Which corner you put it on, it will make a major difference to this community that it is there. And what this community goes wrong, more than other communities I've lived in, is it's always and nothing's getting built. Yeah, no, and where he's wrong, Adam Vaughn, because he is wrong in part on his argument, is that nobody really got, you know, persnickety about cutting down the trees in Moss Park, which happened last weekend. You know, there were a few activists complaining, but we're not talking about it on the radio. We're not reading about it that much in the newspaper. But this is property that is occupied by the richest of the rich, you know, the elitist of the elites, the lawyers, the judges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'll bet that if they were breaking ground to build a great new underground parking lot with a luxury sauna and swimming pool for the judges, there'd be no problem ripping those trees down. I think uh -huh. there's a little bit of elite nimbyism here as well. Especially, right, it's getting in the way. Yeah, especially if it was a parking garage that had these spots only for electric vehicles, these spots only for Lexus. And these spots only for judges of the Superior Court <laughs> of Ontario, don't you know? All right. And accused, the accused in the uh, shooting of an OPP officer was out on bail due to indigenous identity. Now, maybe you'll disagree with me, Mark. I've said this before. People talk about racism in Canada, racism in the United States. Racism, tragically, is a human condition. Uh, we work hard to try and mitigate against it. But we have, and I think a lot of countries do not, we have institutionalized a racist policy into our law, which is you are treated differently in court based on your race if you happen to be indigenous. To me, that's institutional racism. It is, but the intent of it is to try to balance the playing field. I, when I was in the Army, traveled around and toured through all of Canada's federal prisons west of the Quebec border uh, as part of my job as a Army officer. And in each and every one of them, I was overwhelmed just as a casual person walking through at the fact that most of the prisoners, and I mean well over half of the prisoners, are Indigenous. And so they're vastly overrepresented in the prison population. That could mean that they commit the vast majority of crimes, or it could mean that they don't get cut as many breaks as everybody else. So as a nation, we've decided we're going to cut them a little bit more slack than you or me facing a judge. But Setting that aside, I'm still not sure that even if we toughened up the bail provisions the way I'd like to see them toughened up, which is considerably, I think this guy might still have snuck through the cracks because as far as I can tell, based only on the story that I read in the news, he was not convicted of previous offenses. He was on bail 
waiting trial for those offenses. So he, he hadn't, it hadn't been tested in court. And it does happen once in a while that people are charged with things they didn't do and they get a yeah. reputation and that stain follows them. And so they keep getting charged until a judge says he did it. We don't know that he did it. All right. And uh, and that isn't the same. I'll grant you that as the, the guy who stabbed a whole bunch of people in Saskatchewan had an amazing criminal record of convictions. Yes. And we've had other stories like that. And once you're convicted for doing that type of crime, I think then you lose some of that doubt. You know, yeah. you don't get they don't get the benefit that everybody else gets. Yeah. Uh, builders are seeking an extension on Toronto's new vacant home tax. Do they have a point? Uh, again, I think they have a little bit of a point. Six months might not be long enough under some circumstances, but they want it to extend it to two years. And quite frankly, I think the policy objective of this vacant home tax, whether you like it or not, was to uh, create a, a larger supply of housing so that people could live in it. If builders are holding on to units that they're not selling, they're saying, well, it's because we can't sell them. Well, then lower the price. And yeah, that's all market works. Sell yeah, exactly. Yes. So I think uh, probably... Six months maybe is too short, but two years is probably way too long. I think the builders are just going to have to suck it up and sell it at the market value. Yeah. Well, that said, I don't like the vacant home tax. I think if I own a piece of property, um, you could say whatever you want to say about me lowering the price, but you know who'll decide what to do with the property I own? I will. How about that? Well, unless you live in Toronto and it's vacant and you don't want to pay the tax, in case the city <laughs> is going to tax you to kingdom come. All right. But if you were a city councillor, would you sign off on that? The uh, vacant home tax? Or if you were an MPP? Uh, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. Just as a libertarian, I don't like the idea of people. But we don't have vested property rights in this country. They're not enshrined in statute. They exist in common law. All right. There's something but, for uh, Pierre Polyev yeah. to do. Okay. So um, you'll be back at 9 o'clock. I will be. To do my show 9 to noon. Full of potato chips. Good to see I you. Which I didn't eat. I just I said that because I wanted to annoy you. Yeah, well, you did. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the weather My work is done.